Let's spend time in the word, y'all. And today we're in Nahum and we may read through Nahum and Habakkuk. We'll see where the Lord leads. But what we want to do is we want to ask three questions. The first question that we're going to ask is, God, what are you revealing concerning yourself? That's the first question we're going to ask. The second question we're going to ask is, God, what are you revealing concerning me? And then the third question that we want to ask as we prayerfully hear from God in the reading of the word is, God, what are you revealing concerning um, um, well, concerning yourself, concerning people, and concerning me. Those are the three questions that we ask. And so I want you to meditate and reflect on that as we spend time in the Word today. We'll see where the Lord leads. Got nothing prepared, so we'll call it a read and rant. We're going to read, and then we're going to rant. And so that's 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 our plan. That's our agenda today. And we're reading in the storm today, y'all. We are reading in the storm. Um. <laughs> we are reading in the storm today. So uh, I love it. I love it. Good time to read, y'all. Good time to read. So let's do it. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege that you've given us to spend time in your word. Father, bless us today. Lord, guide us, lead us, Father, as we read your word. Father, I pray that, Lord, you would speak to us in a powerful way. Um, Lord, reveal your truth to us. Reveal your heart to us. Reveal your will to us today, Lord, as we read it. Let's be encouraged, Lord, that those of us who may not even be sure about where we are in our faith, and we're just kind of just, you know, deciding to hang and see what these folks are talking about. But I just pray that you would just um, reveal truth to us, Lord. That's it. Just reveal truth to us, the truth of who you are to us. And we ask that in your name we pray. Amen. I'm always grateful before I even get started in my reading. I'm always grateful to have the agnostics and the atheists, the skeptics, the Buddhists, the Muslims who come and spend time in, in reading the word uh, with us because <clears throat> you've been told so many things about Christianity. You've been told so many things about what the Bible says. You've probably been told a multiplicity of things about God and what the scriptures say about God. And so for me, I am encouraged to go on this journey with you. And the reason why I'm encouraged to go on this journey with you is because a lot of things that people say that the Bible says, the Bible doesn't say. A lot of things that people have said about, well, the scriptures say this and scriptures say that. They read it and they point it to you out of context. That's why I love reading the Bible with people, because rather than hearing what I have to say about what the Bible says, why don't you just read it for yourself? And if you can't read it for yourself, or maybe you're intimidated by reading this on your own, how about I just read it along with you? That's why I do the read and rant. That's how we got here. We got here because I believe the most powerful thing any person can do is read through the entire Bible for themselves without anyone specifically telling you about what the Bible says, but for you to see what it says for yourself. And that's why I do this. That's what motivates me to do this. So for those of you who wonder like, okay, who is this guy? What is he about? That's what I'm about. And, and I love that for those of you who are here, who say you're, you're like, man, I didn't know that this is what the Bible was really talking about, what the Bible was really saying. So anyway, I just wanted to point that out before I get into the reading today. Um, so I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're here. 
I'm glad you're spending time. So, and if you get a chance to read from the beginning, like go to the read and rant podcast, check it out. It's all free. Um, and you can go and, and see maybe, hmm. Wow. Okay. Maybe that's wow. I didn't know that. And I didn't know this and wow, that's what that was really saying. Huh? Interesting. Anyway, let's get into it. Y'all we're going to read the book of Nahum, not the most popular book, but a powerful book nonetheless. So let's read it. It says this in verse one, the burden against the Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum, the Elkishite. God's wrath on his enemies. First section. Verse two. God is jealous and the Lord avenges. The Lord avenges and is furious. The Lord will take vengeance on his adversaries and he reserves wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power and will not acquit the wicked. Mm. The Lord has his way in the whirlwind and in the storm and the clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebukes the sea and makes it dry and dries up all the rivers, Bashan and Carmel with her and the flower of Lebanon wilts. The mountains quake before him. His, the hills melt. The earth heaves at his presence. Yes, the world and all who dwell in it. Who can stand before his in indignation and who can endure the fierceness of his anger? His fury is poured out like fire and the rocks are thrown down by him. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. And he knows those who trust in him. But with an overflowing flood, he will make an utter end of its place and darkness will pursue his enemies. What do you conspire against the Lord? He will make an utter end of it. Affliction will not rise up a second time. For while tangled like thorns and while drunken like drunkards, they shall be devoured like stubble fully dried. From you comes forth one who plots evil against the Lord, a wicked counselor. Thus says the Lord, though they are safe and likewise many, yet in this manner they will be cut down when he passes through. Though I have afflicted you, I will afflict you no more. For now I will break off his yoke from you and burst your bonds apart. The Lord has given a command concerning you. Your name shall be perpetuated no longer. Out of the house of your gods, I will cut off the carved image and the molded image. I will dig your grave for you are vile. Behold, on the mountains, the feet of him who brings good tidings, who proclaims peace. O Judah, keep your appointed feasts. Perform your vows. For the wicked shall no more pass through you. He is utterly cut off. Chapter 2. He who scatters has come up before your face. Man the fort. Watch the road. Strengthen your flanks, fortify your power mightily for the Lord will restore the excellence of Jacob, like the excellence of Israel for the emptiers have emptied them out and ruined their vine branches. The shields of his mighty men are made red. The valiant men are in scarlet. The chariots come with flaming torches in the day of his preparation and the spears are brandished. 
The chariots rage in the streets. They jostle one another in the broad roads. They seem like torches. They run like lightning. He remembers his nobles. They stumble in their walk. They make haste to her walls. And the defense is prepared. The gates of the rivers are open. The palace is dissolved. It is decreed. She shall be led away captive. She shall be brought up, and her maidservants shall lead her as with the voice of doves, beating her breasts. Though Nineveh of old was like a pool of water, now they flee away. Halt, halt, they cry. But no one turns back. Take spoil of silver. Take spoil of gold. There is no end of treasure or wealth of every desirable prize. She is empty, desolate, and waste. The heart melts and the knees shake. Much pain is in every side, and all their faces are drained of color. Where is the dwelling? <laughs> Sorry. Where is the dwelling of the lions in the feeding place of the young lions where the lion walked and the lioness and the lion's cub? And no one made them afraid. The lion tore in pieces enough for his cubs, killed for his lionesses, filled his caves with prey and his dens with flesh. Behold, I am against you, says the Lord of hosts. I will burn your chariots in smoke, and the sword shall devour your young lions. I will cut off your prey from the earth, and the voice of your messengers shall be heard no more. Chapter 3 Woe to the bloody city! It is full of lies and robberies. It is Its victim never departs. The noise of a whip and the noise of rattling wheels, of galloping horses, of clattering chariots. Horsemen charge with the bright sword and the glittering spear. There is a multitude of slain. A great number of bodies, countless corpses. They stumble over the corpses because of the multitude of harlotries, of the seductive harlot, the mistress of sorceries who sells nations through her harlotries and families through her sorceries. Behold, I am against you, says the Lord of hosts. I will lift your skirts over your face. I will show the nations your nakedness and the kingdoms your shame. I will cast abominable filth upon you, make you vile and make you a spectacle. It shall come to pass that all who look upon you will flee from you and say, Nineveh is laid waste. Who will bemoan her? Where shall I seek comforters for you? Are you better than Noaman that was situated by the river that had the waters around her, whose rampart was the sea, whose wall was the sea? Ethiopia and Egypt were her strength, and it was boundless. Put and Lubim were your helpers. Yet she was carried away. She went into captivity. Her young children also were dashed to pieces at the head of every street. They cast lots for her, for her honorable men, and all her great men <clears throat> were bound in chains. You also will be drunk. You will be hidden. You also will seek refuge from the enemy. All your strongholds are fig trees with ripened figs. If they are shaken, they shall fall into the mouth of the eater. Surely your people in your midst are women. The gates of your land are wide open for your, for your enemies. Fire shall devour the bars of your gates. Draw your water for the siege. Fortify your strongholds. Go into the clay and tread the mortar. Make strong the brick kiln. 
There the fire will devour you. The sword will cut you off. It will eat you up like a locust and make yourself many like a locust. Make yourself many like the swarming locust. You have multiplied your merchants more than the stars of heaven. The locust plunder and flies away. <clears throat> Sorry. Your commanders are like swarming locusts and your generals like great grasshoppers, which camp at the hedges on a cold day. When the sun rises, they flee away to a place where they are not known. Your shepherds slumber, O king of Assyria. Your nobles rest in the dust. Your people are scattered on the mountains and no one gathers them. Your injury has no healing. Your wound is severe. All who hear news of you will clap their hand hands over you. For whom has not your wickedness passed continually? Oh, Lord. That's a lot. That's a lot. Um, Man, I'm led to read. Should we read Habakkuk, y'all? Thumbs up, read Habakkuk. You want to stay here and Nahum. What do you guys think? Okay. I'm getting more stay here's. I'm getting more stay here. Oh, no. I'm stay, stay. Okay. All right. We stay. You want to stay? <laughs> Everybody's saying stay. All right. I'm going to stay. <laughs> uh, we're going to stay. I was about to read Habakkuk. I was about to just continue rolling. But I'm going to stay right here. We'll save Habakkuk for Monday. We'll save Habakkuk for Monday. As we read the text, I feel like it's important. Like, I, I feel like it's 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 critically important for us to remember what this book is. Before I even dig into to Nahum here, it's important for me to remind you that this is actually not a book. It's a compilation. <clears throat> this is not, you know, this isn't a, a book where you've got a chapter and then a chapter following a chapter and a chapter following a chapter. This is in encyclopedia. And often when we read, we sometimes kind of look at it as, okay, this is this page in the book, then the next page in the book. And we just simply look at it as a book. This is not a book. This is a collection of books, letters, poems, revelations of God through the lives of God's people. As we read the Bible, we read it. But sometimes we read it as if it's just one word when it's really many, all wrapped around revealing a word, the revelation of truth that we find in Jesus Christ. It all comes to light in Jesus Christ. It all is revealed in Jesus Christ. And the same way that I was showing you as we were reading through the book of, um, what was we reading, Micah yesterday, as we were reading through Micah, we saw how it eventually pointed to Christ. People get into all these debates about, well, I can't trust this book because there's 
stuff missing in it. Like there are old texts that were removed from the book. That doesn't even make sense to say that. Because to say that would be presuming that this is a book. This is not a book. This is a curated compilation of writings by many people in many eras over many years. And so when we read these, we, we, we sometimes miss that. And, and it's important for me to point that out because what we're reading here, I love that you put it that way. What you're, what we're reading here is a, is a, is a journal entry. When you read Micah, you're reading a journal entry. When you're reading Amos, you're reading a journal entry. When you're reading Obadiah, you're reading a general entry. When you're reading Ezekiel or Joel, you're reading a journal entry. And these are entries that we see that have been entered into this compilation through what we read in the book of first Kings and second Kings in first Chronicles and second Chronicles in Ezra and Nehemiah, that moment of history, as you said, as you've heard me say this over and over again, that moment of history was, what's the word I want to use was for now I'll say catalytic was pivotal in the history of humanity. And at the center of that history, we see the children of Israel. And in that history, we talked about this, right? The children of Israel who established a, a, a nation and, and we saw this lineage of kings, the kings in the north, northern Israel, the kings in the south, southern Judah. We see this lineage of kings, all of which fell short of the messianic king that would bring restoration and flourishing to all of humanity. And yet through these people, God had a promise. He has a promise through these people. And so we're hearing the story and the history of what is happening through the lives, the history of these people. And now that we've read through it from, and if you've missed it, go back and read it. But now that we've read through it in first Kings and second Kings and first Chronicles and second Chronicles in Ezra and Nehemiah, we're now shifting our vantage point, shifting the direction to now the journal entries of those who, who journeyed through those experiences. We take these words because these are words of prophets who had encounters with God and heard specifically from God concerning the things that were transpiring in the history of Israel. Israel became a nation, but did not live up to the justice of God. And in consequence, Israel fell under the influence and the power of the Babylonian empire. Well, well first the Assyrian empire, and then consequently the Babylonian empire. We saw what transpired when the Assyrian Empire came in to take over northern Israel, Samaria being the capital of northern Israel. We read that all in Second Kings. Go back and read it with me. And now that we've read it all in Second Kings and we've talked a little bit about that, we alluded to this, 
What we're seeing now, and I love that terminology, that this is a journal entry, this is pointing now to the prophetic revelation of what was being encountered in in that moment in history. Are y'all with me so far? Why is that important? It's important because so many of us, when we read, we don't read it with the proper context. We look at it, we read, and we're confused because we're inserting ourselves in places that we ought not to insert ourselves. But when you read it from the vantage point, from the literary vantage point of we've seen the life and the history of the children of Israel. And we see what's transpired in the life and the history of the, uh, of the children of Israel. And now we're seeing the prophetic voices that spoke into those moments in history. Now we can understand the implication of what that is or what that means for us today. You can fall into all kinds of weird stuff. If you insert yourself in a place that you ought not to insert yourself. The reason why a lot of us have been manipulated with this book, which is not even a book, the reason why many people have been led astray by people who say that they're preaching and they're teaching the scriptures and, and teaching about Jesus. And, and, and the reason why a lot of us fall astray is because they inserted you somewhere where they ought not to have inserted you. They put you somewhere where they weren't supposed to put you. They made this about you. And it is what I would call a toxic form of eisegesis or a toxic form of narcissus. And because of this toxic narcissus, we find ourselves falling into shame and guilt and all this stuff because we have inserted ourselves in this word. Transliteration. Love it. So when we read, God is jealous, as we're reading through Nahum, God is jealous. The Lord avenges and is furious. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries. Lord, we insert ourselves. We don't even know what Nahum is actually talking about and who Nahum is actually talking to. Because we completely ignore the first verse. Where it says in the first verse, this was the burden against Nineveh. And this book that we're reading is a vision of Nahum, the Elkishite. See that? See how you missed that? So then we go, oh yeah, okay, skip that. Okay. Wow, man, God is so vengeful and he and he hates me. And look at what the Lord is saying and, and he's speaking about all this evil. Don't lose sight. Don't lose perspective. Because if you lose perspective, you're gonna miss the message. If you lose the context, you're gonna miss the text. Remember what we said. And then I'm going to, after that, I'm going <clears> to, <throat> um, we're going to dig in a little bit because there's, there's a lot to unpack from this. But remember what we said here and what we spoke about over and over again. Israel had fallen under the captivity, submitted to uh, the 
influence and the power of the neighboring Canaanite nations. The consequence of it is as the nations in the north, particularly speaking in this case, Assyria, had expanded their empire, they came knocking at Israel's door. They overcame Israel, took people captive, and scattered them all about the world. The known world at the time, what they called the known world. Some went back to Nineveh. Others were killed. And so Nineveh at this time is the nation of, of influence. Nineveh is the capital of the Assyrian Empire. Remember, we talked about Nineveh already in the book of Jonah, which I think if you missed that, go back and check it. It's on Patreon. It's for everyone because we couldn't go live. But Nineveh is not the exemplar of human flourishing. Nineveh is the exemplar of human debauchery. Nineveh is the exemplar of what happens when you have, when you, first of all, feel yourself a little too much, have amassed all this influence and power, and rather than using the influence and power to bring healing and hope to the world, you use the influence and power to stuff your belly, to gratify yourself of all these desires, even if it came at the consequence of the destinies and the lives of those who were around you. Nineveh was a powerful, was a powerful city, capital of a powerful nation, but not known for anything good. How do we know that? We know that because we read at the end the kind of people that they were. This wasn't just how God felt about them or how Israel felt about them. This is what, they, what it says right there in chapter 3, verse 19. The last verse of the text tells you everything you need to know about Nineveh, everything you need to know about the Assyrian Empire. It says, your injury has no healing. Your wound is severe. All who hear news of you will clap their hands over you, for upon whom has not your wickedness passed continually. Nineveh was mowing across the known world, destroying nations, sucking the life, the resource, the beauty out of all these nations. Nineveh was amassing, or Assyria was amassing power and influence. Nineveh was amassing all of this, but, he, but at the consequence of the lives of those they stomped over. Nineveh raped, pillaged, and burned nations down. They sucked the life out of everything they came to for what? Their own gratification and their own desire. And so they took what was good, perverted what was good, made it for their own pleasure, and says here that Nineveh's downfall, Assyria's downfall, no one's going to weep over that. No one's going to weep over um, what transpired as Assyria fell. Nahum is writing this letter because what he's doing is in this journal entry is he's announcing what has already what we've already seen. But this is the this is now we're seeing it from Nahum's perspective. We remember we talked about this from a whole bunch of these prophetic perspectives from Amos, from Obadiah, 
right? We, we, we read this from Jonah's perspective. We read all of that. Okay. We read all of that. Um, what Nahum is doing is Nahum is providing us a collection of sayings and poems to announce the fall of the Assyrian empire. In chapter two and chapter three, we see the nature of the fall. Chapter two tells us about the destruction of this, this evil empire. Um, in, um, in chapter three, it talks about the fall of the, sorry, in chapter two, this evil empire, the capital city of Nineveh. In chapter three, it speaks more and more specificity about the consequence on a broader level of the fall and the, con uh, of the fall and the, uh, sorry, of the fall of the Syrian empire. Sorry, guys. My mind's going 100 miles an hour. And so we see how this empire rises, but it, it ends up falling. And in the end, when they fall, no one will care. But chapter one speaks into the heart of God and the motivation of God for why these things transpire in chapter two and chapter three. Nahum is announcing the overthrow of the most powerful city in that time, or what most would know as the most powerful city in that time. And he's announcing the downfall of the most powerful empire in that time, the Assyrian Empire. And what he says, if you notice, is what they built themselves on. In chapter three, the first, first verse, this powerful empire, he says, woe to the bloody city. It is full of lies and robbery. It's victim never departs. He's speaking into what this city has been built on. He says it's victim never departs to speak into what fuels this city, what drives the city, what motivates the city. He calls the city of Nineveh a bloody city because what keeps the city running is violence. What keeps the city running is power and influence that doesn't come from God, but comes from the destruction of other people. This city and this empire cares not about the voiceless. This city, this empire cares not about the weak. This city, this empire cares not about all of humanity. This city and this empire does not see the image of God in each and every breathing human being. This city only sees itself, its race, its people. And if it comes at the cost of someone else, to establish their power and influence, they will 
commit it. They will do it. Whatever they got to do, they will do it. He speaks into what built the city. And what he says here is so powerful. What he's implying in chapter three is he's saying what built your city is what's going to destroy your city. If destruction built it, then this city's destiny will be destruction. Whatever you built this nation on and this empire on is what this empire will fall on. Hmm. And so in chapter three, he talks through the nature of the destruction of the city to close in the end and to say in the end, when this city will be destroyed. No one will actually care. No one will speak about you. No one will mourn over you. No one's going to miss your presence because you were not a blessing when you were here. No one's going to miss your absence. As a matter of fact, they're just going to sit And they're going to watch your downfall. Hmm. I want to walk slowly into this. Because we're seeing the things that Nahum is proclaiming in chapter two and chapter three. And notice how this chapter also ends with the question for upon whom has not your wickedness passed continually? It ends with a question, which leaves us with attention, but pointing to what we see even today as we talk about the empires that exist today and the empires that have existed up to this point. Is wherever you've stepped, who has not experienced your wickedness? Who has not had their lives sucked out because of your presence? Have you been a blessing to the nations or have you been a reproach and a curse to the nations? Because in the end, you're going to rest in dust and nobody's going to miss you. (laughs) He talks about the destruction of Nineveh, the capital city. Of course, the capital falls, the, the, um, the, the empire falls. Just so you know, here's what's going to happen next. I'll just kind of throw it out there because that's actually what's going to lead us into Habakkuk, which I, I can't wait to share that with you guys as well. Nineveh is going to be overtaken. Nineveh is going to be destroyed. And when you read history, you're going to learn that Nineveh is going to be destroyed by Babylon. Babylon will overtake Nineveh one evil nation being overtaken by another evil nation. I don't know if you guys remember when we were reading in first and second Kings, we spoke about this and I'd said to you guys, and maybe you'll remember this, that there is no nation that will stand, no kingdom that will stand in eternity other than the kingdom of God. 
if you guys recall, and I remember, I'm trying to remember which read and rant that was, that I said that all kingdoms will fall. Every empire will fall. I don't care how good it looks. I don't care how powerful it looks. Even the ones today that want to celebrate their their nationalism. Sorry. I lost a whole bunch of followers on on Twitter, by the way, with a tweet that I that I posted. Lost a whole bunch of followers. And I'm I'm like, okay. Um, I lost a whole bunch of followers on Twitter with this one, but it is what it is. I I'm, I made some enemies with it, but it is what it is. But I'd said this one thing and apparently it got everybody all tied up and all twisted up in a bun. <clears throat> I said, this, this term Christian nationalism is an oxymoron in so many different ways. And people got all messed up and upset. I said, I don't think there's anything wrong with the term Christian and there's nothing wrong with the term nationalism, but kind of like jumbo shrimp. There's nothing wrong with the word jumbo and there's nothing wrong with the word shrimp. But when you put those two words together, the shrimp diminishes the jumbo. And when you put Christian and nationalism together, the nationalism begins to shrink the broad, powerful word. That is the witness of Christ, Christian. Everybody got upset over it. And I always found that interesting how people can be so upset, so passionate. You know, I'm not going to post that on TikTok. If I do that, I'm going to get myself in trouble. And dang, now I'm on, now this is on YouTube. I'm going to lose even more friends and more followers. But I, I, I get so twisted up, y'all. Now I'm going to the rant mode, so stay with me for a second. But I get so twisted up. Like, I, how are you so upset when people talk about your political position and preference? I mean, if you are a conservative, conservatives, especially conservative Christians or, or, or liberal Christians, whatever you may call them, they get so upset. I mean, they get hot. Whenever you talk about their politician or their political ideology, they get really, really, really passionate about it. They get really, really passionate about policies and procedures. They get really, really passionate. But then when it comes to the witness of Christ, they're so apathetic about it. Like, I don't understand how, how did we get here? To believe that somehow to be Christian is to be American. Like, I don't understand how we've gone okay with this idea that being American is being Christian. To the point that when our missionaries went to nations around the world, what they were propagating was their politics and not Christ. When they came around the world to be missionaries of Christ, what they were actually were cultural colonizers, bringing their 
cultural mindsets and ideologies and imposing them on people of other nations and other ethnicities. I, 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 I don't understand how we've gotten here unless what got us here wasn't Christ. What got us here was a form of righteousness. So you understand I have this hesitation when people talk about mission work around the world. I ask myself, are you actually being witnesses to Christ? Or are you colonizing a mindset and an idea? And I know I'm going to, I know some people are going to get upset and I might lose people on this. I might lose some folks on this, but this is what Nineveh does. This is what Assyria does. Assyria cares more about Assyria than about Yahweh. More about Assyria than about the glory of Christ. More about Assyria than anything else. And so if you're not a Syrian, then you're not righteous. If you're not, sorry, I'm, I'm, I don't want to go down that, down that, down that rabbit hole. I know I'm causing trouble. I know I'm twisting it up. I know I'm stirring the pot, but we have to ask ourselves the question, this whole idea of American America being a Christian nation since when? Since when? When you read the text and you, not to say there aren't Christians in America, but this whole, this whole thing about America being a Christian nation, since when? Since when? In God we trust, well, who is God? We haven't God we trust on our dollar bills, but who is God? Because I find, especially in this electoral season, sorry if we're going to go there for a minute. I find that more people are passionate about their politics than they are about Christ. I find today that more quote unquote Christians are actually more passionate about their political ideology than they are about Christ because they get all upset and twisted up. If somehow you talk about their politicians policies or their political philosophy, but say something about Jesus and they get quiet. So what are you more passionate about? being a Republican or being a Christian? What are you more passionate about? Being a Democrat or being Christian? It's the apathy for Jesus for me and the passion for your politics for me. And we have to ask what kind of empire do we really have? What kind of empire do we really have? 
because this evil empire Assyria is about to be taken over and evil empires do not stand. And as much as we say one nation under God, or as much as we, not, first of all, I want to say this. I am, I am American. I love my country. <laughs> you want to know why I love my country? Because I live in it. You want to love why I love my country? Because it influenced who I am. It's made me who I am. I love my country. But I'm also not going to make my country something it's not. And I will never take priority over my country. I will, I will never allow my country to take priority over the kingdom of God. And the moment people begin to glorify their flag over the banner of Christ, I'm sorry, fam. You're going to hear me bite back. I'm sorry, fam. You're going to think I'm, I sound anti-American. <laughs> no, I'm not anti-American. I'm for the kingdom of God. Because I know that the day will come when all when nations will be brought together under the banner of Christ and we will be one nation and one family under God. America is not the promised land. He's coming to restore all nations to be one in him, the new Jerusalem. Sorry, fam. Just want to let, leave that caveat there so people don't start thinking I'm trying to start a, a rebellion or anything of the nature. I'm actually not. That's actually not my intention. It's all to say this. Any nation, any kingdom that's not the kingdom of God won't stand forever. It's that simple, y'all. Only the kingdom of God will stand. And here we see the destruction of Nineveh and, 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 and we see the destruction of Assyria, the most powerful nation. And he's saying there's another one coming to overtake you. And then we're going to learn later on that this nation, Babylon, is going to be overtaken. Babylon doesn't even exist today. They're just emblems of the propensity for humanity to continue to propagate evil. When the heart of God is not what empowers them and moves them. When the mind of Christ is not what moves and motivates them. And so what drives us here? How did we get here? Chapter one tells us. When it speaks of God's wrath on his enemies, he's talking about the wrath that God has on those who have oppressed the innocent, the weak, the least of these. If there's anything this, this reading does is this reading exposes that God, God is grieved. God actually cares about the weak. God actually cares about those who are being oppressed by the evil powers. God cares about them. We read about all the things that are happening. And sometimes we ask the question like, God, do you actually care? And what Nahum chapter one says here is Nahum chapter one says that God actually cares. When it says God is jealous and the Lord avenges, the Lord avenges and is furious. The Lord will take vengeance on his adversaries and he reserves wrath for his enemies. He, God's got his mind on those who cannot defend themselves. He's got his mind on the weak. 
we we could we could say this from Israel's perspective. Israel can take some of the blame of why they got there, but it does not take away from how God feels about Israel. And the reason why we have not yet seen and we await and we groan to see the restoration is because God is slow to anger, verse 3, and great in power. He won't acquit the wicked, but he's slow to anger and great in power. As great as God's power is, he's also slow to operate and to manifest that power. The Lord has his way. I love that verse. And the whirlwind and in the storm and the clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebukes the sea. He's, he's speaking here about the, the grand, the, the eminence of God, the power of God. He rebukes the sea and makes it dry. He dries up the rivers. These are the things that God can do. The mountains quake before him. The hills melt. The earth heaves at his presence. Yes, the world and all who dwell in it. This is how powerful God is. So God, why won't you do it now? Because even though he's great in power, he is slow to anger. Don't ever confuse God's absence of action as God's apathy. Somebody needs to hear that today. Don't ever confuse God's absence of action as God's apathy. Just because God isn't doing something right now doesn't mean that God doesn't care. God knows so much more than we do. And God's timing is always right. So you need to trust in him with his timing because God will do it. And when he does it, it's when it ought to have been done. And when he does it, no one, look, he says, who can stand against his indignation? Who can endure the fierceness of his anger? God's going to deal with Assyria. God's going to deal with the injustice. There's injustice in America, family. And there's injustice in Europe. There's injustice in Africa. I love when people keep pointing at each other of all the injustice and all the evil in the world. There's injustice everywhere. And God's going to deal with it. Why? Because verse 7 tells you the Lord is good. That's why. He's a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who trust in him. I'm going to sit here because I know I'm out of time. I've been ranting. I'm all over the place. I want you to hear what Nahum is actually saying here. Nahum is saying, 
for everything that the Assyrians have done to us. God's going to deal with it. God's going to address Assyria. He's going to deal with Assyrian evil. And I know we children of Israel are down and out right now. But the goodness of God is going to address the evil in the world. And we can trust in the goodness of God to keep us and sustain us so that we can have hope for the future of the world. This is the hope that Israel has. And this is the hope that we can have today. Because what Israel was waiting for, you're going to hear me say this over and over again, we already have. (laughs) Israel didn't have Christ who brought everything, who brought justice to all. Israel didn't have that. What we are waiting, what Israel is waiting for, we actually have. The goodness of God must be dealt with and even now is being dealt with. The, sorry, the goodness of God must deal with evil. And it is dealing with evil. And it has dealt with evil. And we can trust even today in the goodness of God. Because evil has already been dealt with. And whatever kingdoms we see that are rising, every kingdom that doesn't stand under the kingdom and the banner of Christ will fall. We have a hope today that's greater than Israel's hope. Israel has a hope in the coming Christ, in the establishment of a kingdom, one that will rule over all. This kingdom will not look like any kingdom. This kingdom will not operate like any kingdom. This kingdom will not be built on power and influence, but this kingdom will be built on love and sacrifice. They didn't have that kingdom. We do. We are the body of Christ. The coming kingdom, the one that is coming and the one that is here. So fam, let's not operate. My God hasn't done it. God has. And let's take confidence in that. Father, I thank you for what you've done today, Lord, as we read through Nahum, Lord. We're reminded today, Lord, of the evil that transpires when nations of power manifest their influence, not for your glory, but for their power and comfort. But Father, we take comfort in knowing, Lord, that you are the God who sustains us that you are the God who deals with evil and that we can trust in you even when things don't seem the way that they ought to. So bless us today, Lord. Let's be reminded today of your goodness and your mercy. And we say that in Jesus' name. Amen. Love y'all fam. We might have an impromptu Bible study today um, to make up for the Bible study we lost yesterday. I'll post it on Discord, still working it out, seeing if I can move my schedule around. We'll see how the storm is. Since it's storming right now, we'll see what, the, you know, we'll see what happens. Uh, but 
Um, we are still working through Ephesians, so I'll let you guys know. Um, subscribe or not subscribe, but join our Discord community. I'll put all the updates there. So join our Discord community, discord.gg. Yes, there is a tornado warning. I just got the notification. There is a tornado warning. Um, uh, discord.gg slash Opus Frere. Okay. Discord.gg slash Opus Frere. Um, plug with us there. I will put post an announcement. We'll see how things go. Hoping that we can uh, connect later where we can continue to journey through the book of Ephesians. If not, we'll have Bible study next week, but uh, we may squeeze one in today. So I want to encourage you guys to um, to definitely join our Discord community and pray about becoming a patron, okay? Uh, pray about it. I've, I always say that, like, don't, don't do it because I'm asking you to become a patron, but I actually want you to pray about it. Let the Lord lead you. If, if God is saying to you, nope, uh, he's not asking me to support this, I have no problem with that because I'm not going to stop doing what I'm doing. But pray about it, okay? Pray about it. Um, and and I, I know those of you who are patrons, a lot of you are even giving more than the $10 a month. But I can tell you right now, I, I am grateful for those who even support $10 a month. I am grateful for you because it is your support that makes all this possible. So love y'all, fam. I got to go. I will see you guys tomorrow. And I'll post this audio right away on patreon for you guys okay and i will be posting this video on patreon yes i'm gonna make this video available on patreon as well so there you go we're gonna start doing that as well so love y'all fam god bless you guys see you guys on monday i almost said tomorrow on monday love y'all peace out